Welcome to the Neoliberal Realm podcast. I am Ronaldo McKenzie. That was the voice of a U.S. correspondent who was being treated at a hospital in Omadit, Ukraine, after he and Brent Renard was attacked by a group of Russian soldiers after they were leaving or trying to um, cross a particular area of the city in Ukraine. So that's what happened and that's news coming in. And uh, actually, we can confirm for those of us who are aware what's going on in Ukraine, that a Russian military, Russian military shot dead 51-year-old U.S. correspondent Brent Renard in Irpin. The voice of the gentleman you just heard was, was one of the correspondent who was with Brent Renard. During the attack, they got separated and he was, and he is currently being treated at, at an hospital in Ukraine and he, and reports are coming in that he survived the attack, but Brent Renard did not. And we also have this coming in for you. That is the voice of President Zelensky, who delivered a message to the Ukrainian people and the world yesterday via his Telegram page. In his message, he says, it's day 18. We hold key positions. Close the skies over Ukraine. We're going through the worst ordeal. Again, he says, it's day 18. We hold key positions. Close the skies over Ukraine. We're going through the worst ordeal. We will discuss, we will share his message in you, with, with you in brief. And we will also discuss some takeaways. Welcome to the Neoliberal Round again. And I hope you will enjoy this episode as we have a lot of very poignant points to raise with you as we delve into President Zelensky's message.
And yesterday, President Zelensky, in a video, told the world that it's day 18. We hold key defensive positions. Close the Ukrainian airspace before it gets late, uh, worse and before it's too late. Russia's bombs have already reached NATO's borders. Negotiations are actively underway between Russia and Ukraine. And this has led to more than 10 corridors that are open today so that over 5,550 refugees were able to securely leave Kyiv, Kharkiv, Melitopol, Donbass and other regions safely except for Mar Mariupol which remains blocked by Russian troops. They are working on getting that reopened, he said. He also said that he visited the wounded and handed out medals today and spoke with several European leaders who assured continued support and shared concerns about the wider implications of Putin's goals and Russia's invasions in Russia's invasion, which is closing in on their borders, Europe's borders. He ended by saying, we are going through the worst ordeal in our history and in our lives to protect the most precious thing we have. We must hold on. We must fight. And we will, and we will win. I believe in that. Importantly, importantly, he warned the world in his message. He warned the world leaders who are refusing to implement the no-fly zone reminding them of his warning some time ago to apply more sanctions on Russia as Putin was getting ready for a war and we are now at that point. Further, Zelensky seems to be suggesting here or in the video message that he's also now warning the world that Russia has greater plans which may ultimately involve Europe and by then it may be it might it may be too late therefore closing the skies now over ukraine and providing jets and planes to protect the skies in addition to what they have already received may avert any further catastrophes and prevent russia from penetrating further into europe the fact is if russia successfully defeats and takes ukraine then this surely poses a threat to NATO and other European countries on the border given Putin's justification that he is denazifying Europe and saving them from Western propaganda. As such, it should be in Europe's and NATO's interest to want to impose a no-fly zone given Russia's threats and what, is, and what its success would mean. Now, I understand that currently Europe is heavily dependent on oil imports from Russia. So they are in a very precarious position. Now, this is not what Zelensky is saying. But Europe, but he is alluding to this. But we know that Europe is heavily dependent on oil, oil imports from, you, from Russia. So they are in a very precarious position. But Europe's leaders are either too lazy or lack vision and leadership. They continue to do business with Putin who has a track record of intimidation and aggression in the world. Moreover, 
Russia does not share many of the principles and ideologies of Europe, especially Western European countries and those that have separated from USSR or the Soviet Union. These countries, such as Poland, Ukraine, Belarus, Georgia, Lithuania, etc., are independent sovereign nations that Russia wants to continue to control and dominate. Further, it would seem as if Putin is recreating the Cold War to rebuild the Soviet Union with this invasion of Ukraine. This is what is at stake and President Zelensky continues to hammer home this warning as he lobbies for the implementation of a no-fly no zone here in this, uh, in this message. And of course, he will be a new reporter coming in that uh, he will be speaking, delivering a message or speaking live or virtually to, to the US Congress on Wednesday at 9 a.m. But we hope that the world will, will not wait until it's too late and that NATO re-examines its terms of reference so as to widen its scope, widen its scope to not only protect its members but all the vulnerable countries of the world, which explains its indirect involvement in the war and military aid to Ukraine and procrastination in providing real sanctions against Russia. It should also be able to deal with its members directly so as to prevent its members from stirring up hostilities in the world, especially against weaker and more vulnerable states that can protect themselves. If they do, NATO should, 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 be, should be able to confront that country directly and remove or suspend that country's membership. NATO's roles must include promoting peacekeeping unless that's only a role for UN peacekeepers. But where, where are the UN peacekeepers on this? It would seem, however, that NATO on the NATO or the UN can't control or confront its members who are promoting war in the world, terrorizing a peaceful developing country. Is it is it if it is if it is willing if it is willing if if UN or NATO is willing to allow one of its members to bully another country without any real and effective response that includes confrontation or or let, let, let me rephrase this is it willing is NATO willing to allow one of its members Russia to bully and or any other member to bully another country without any real and effective response that includes confrontation? If not, then, then, any, then any indifference and weak demonstration to hold them accountable would only provide a basis or justification for other states to want to acquire nuclear weapons if NATO only exists to protect its members and cannot rein in said members who are or when they are out of control. I'm going to say this again. NATO's role, NATO's roles or role must include promoting peace, peacekeeping, unless that's only a role for UN peacekeepers. But where are the UN peacekeepers on this? It would seem, however, 
that NATO or the UN can't control or confront its members who are promoting war in the world, terrorizing a peaceful developing country? Is it willing to allow one of its members to bully another country without any real and effective response that includes confrontation? If not, then any indifference and weak demonstration to hold them accountable would only provide a basis or justification for other states to want to acquire nuclear weapons if NATO only exists to protect its members and cannot reign in said members, cannot reign in send said members, Russia and others, who are or when they are out of line or out of control. So, those are some of the takeaways. And, I, and on this show, we are joining the Ukrainians and we are joining President Zelensky to ask the world, world leaders, to implement a no-fly zone and to protect the Ukrainian airspace before it is too late. And just yesterday, I actually was driving around uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I noticed that uh, I actually, you, Luke Oil was one, of my, was one of the companies I do, I get my oil from, but not anymore. Because I refuse to support a country who is willing to carry out genocide in the world to achieve its selfish endeavors, its selfish endeavors, and to justify its killings of the world in this 21st century, saying they are trying to denazify or, or, or save lives when they are committing genocide in the world. I cannot, con- I cannot continue. Luke Oil is Russia's second major company, generating $78 billion per year or last year only. I cannot go down the street in my community in Germantown and purchase gas from Luke Oil, knowing that that money ultimately goes back to Russia. And if I stand against the world, I cannot continue to buy oil from, from Luke Oil when I know that's a Russian company. And, you know, how many Americans are aware of that? And we actually just published a, published an article and shared a report on this show, pre- some episodes previous to this one, talking about ban US, ban Russia, and how, how we as individuals can support Ukraine to stand against Russia as they try to defend the superpower bullying another country, creating havoc in the world. We can also take our part. And just today, just today, we heard that Citizens Bank is no longer going to be doing business with Russia. So corporate America is responding. Goldman Sachs as well. McDonald's, we know as well, has closed its stores. H&M, I understand, has closed its doors based on what Russians are saying on the streets. And already some Russians are feeling the pinch. And we're asking everyone to get involved as we stand against Russia, against discrimination, against injustice, against extremism. And if we can't stand with Ukraine against discrimination, injustice, and to protect, to protect them against abuses from others, then how 
can we expect others to stand with us when we are experiencing difficulties and we need help from the other? It seems as if the world is hearing and they're coming closer to a to a point where they are they are willing to consider closing the um the, the the Ukrainian airspace and to provide the needed support in order to control that air the, the airspace over Ukraine so that the so but what we are also hearing what we are also hearing from Ukraine today is that the Ukrainians are in a very good position to hold Kyiv Russia has not taken Kyiv which is the capital uh, Ukraine continue the Ukrainians continue to fight and protest and to do whatever they can to hold off and we know that of course according to Zelensky just now they are holding strategic positions so and and there's negotiation going on in Russia sorry with Russia and Ukraine in Turkey as they try to bring about some kind of resolve but of course Putin wants Ukraine to surrender of course Ukrainians won't surrender we continue to support the uh, the the the, um, the Ukrainians and we are looking forward to the message from uh, from Zelensky on Wednesday we want to know what he's going to be saying to the president um, to the to the US Congress Congress and how will they respond Thank you for listening to the Neoliberal Round podcast. And just so you know, there is a copy of this of this show. I have written an article of this episode um, on my RonaldoCMcKenzie.blogspot.com, and you can send me an email, RonaldoCMcKenzie at gmail.com. We also have other shows coming up. There are some other exciting shows that we have lined up for you uh, on. On, on on Wednesday's podcast, we're going to be talk, talking about this episode we're going to be doing about about U.S. elections and we're going to be talking about myth and, and so on and so forth. It's a very exciting uh, 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 episode. And if you go to my link, LinkedIn uh, newsletter, I, I actually published the article that I am going to be talking about on Wednesday. On Tuesday po- podcast, which is tomorrow, we're going to be talking about Dana Berry and other black scholars who are now writing about reimagining the black nigger or reimagining um, uh, uh, the black man and the black woman when you are looking back at history. Now they don't want to take a victim approach. They want to look at. They want to take a hero approach as we revisit and tell the story of of the indomitable indomitability of the black man and the black woman. So. In a sense, as we think about Florida's ban on on teaching people to feel to to feel guilt for sins of the past, there is also an effort. There is also an effort by black scholars and academics to to teach black people, black and brown people, to reimagine and to think about resistance or ways in which the, the hero aspect of their of their past so 
in one sense, there are Caucasians or white people who are who are taking the step to to pass laws that would not teach critical race theory, while there are those who sees their way of teaching critical race theory, which is to now move away from talking about black people as victim, but looking at the hero, the hero in a sense. So how does this new effort of black academics to re- to teach about the hero aspect, to drive home a more hero aspect, to reimagine the black woman and the black man, looking at them in a more hero, looking at them as hero, looking at the heroic exploits, looking at how they have resisted, looking at how what they have done to carve, to, to, to protect their family and to protect themselves. So some people are probably thinking that that's a better way to position critical race theory. Instead of highlighting highlighting the, 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 the actions that probably may lead to someone feeling guilty, but focus critical race theory more on the hero aspect of the African-American experience. So I'm, on Tuesday pod, Tuesday's podcast, I'm going to be talking, lifting up scholars like Dana Berry, Price for a Pound of Flesh and those. I'm going to be sharing some excerpts from that. And we also, uh, on Friday's podcast, I'm also going to be talking about a story that we did about car theft in Philadelphia, which we never got a chance to discuss on this podcast. Saturday's podcast, we're going to be talking about the hegemony of faith. And then, of course, one of our next episodes, we're going to be talking about Orientalism and Occidentalism because we talked about the prejudices that Russians have about the West and stated that Putin is saving the East from the West. So, and I mentioned in a previous episode that that this war is based, that the the Russian-Ukrainian war is based on human prejudices or ethnocentrism, judging and privileging a value over another's. So I write a paper I'd like to share about Orientalism and Occidentalism. As As I'd mentioned this in a previous episode, as we delve into the, the basis and the ideas behind this war. What is Occidentalism and what is Orientalism? Because I made reference to it in passing, but I, I want to ensure that I share with you what Orientalism is and what uh, Occidentalism is and what that has to do with the Russian, the, the Russia's or Putin's ideas about the West and the East and, and the fact that he thinks that, and many think that he's on a world-saving mission. Because say, for example, the Talib 9-11, many people believe that, many people in, 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 in Afghanistan and so on believe that 9-11 was warranted, it's necessary. The people who live in those countries believe that 9-11 was necessary. Why? Because of ethnocentric beliefs, because of prejudices, because of their beliefs about the West. Prejud- okay. They prejudice a particular behavior and, and use that to, break, to develop uh, uh, an ethnocentric position about the West. And so they believe they are justified in carrying out attacks like 9-11. 
So when you look at what Putin is doing, he's actually using that kind of argument. And we carried an episode where we shared with you what Russians are saying on the ground, and especially older Russians believe that this war is necessary and that Russia and Putin is on a world-saving mission because of fascism or maybe he's denazifying Russia, so on and so forth. Now, on Sunday, the next, we also, on the next Sunday, next week Sunday, we will have a podcast and we're going to have that, that is, it's going to be a two-part episode or we're going to, or two segments. It's going to be a long episode because, so we're going to have to break that up. We're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to be sharing two articles from a, dis- from a wider discussion I'm having on a dissertation I'm working on that looks at the secret of unlocking divine intervention. But we, but in addition to that, we want to talk about privilege and position. Privilege and position within the development of Western civilization and how this, this privilege and position find ways in the dynamics of human faith and theological history and how it speaks to what is happening now with Russia and so on because a lot of these wars are religious but are religious wars or based on certain values we're also going to be doing an episode on comparing social assistance between a, a post-industrial country and a developing country we're going to be doing a podcast on that looks at urban inequality you can't afford to miss that one we're also going to be doing a, a, a podcast on Thursday that looks at transgenderism and equality. Transgenderism and equality. Because I had carried a, a story. I had written an article. Or it's, and, this was, and it was entitled on, it was on January 22, 2022, entitled The Transgender Community, such as LGBTQIA, and, and trans equality et al should not be fighting for equal status for their athletes in sports in terms of getting them to compete with their new male or female counterparts. It still breeds a level of unfairness that you are fighting against. You need, you need a new event or category with mixed trans people given the complexity of their biology. And of course, it, there was a big backlash because of that. But if I am for equality, then if you listen to my argument on this particular subject, you will understand that there's no biases or there's no bias. It is actually a very good recommendation so as to, so as to avert or prevent any, any inkling or anything that might suggest unfairness and i'm telling you when you have people who are competing in sports the issue of fairness is very important and people who have biological changes seem to put themselves at an advantage over the other so then it becomes it's we it's it 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 is hypocrisy then if we promote equality in the world but yet still expect that transgenders to compete with in a race where people are at a disadvantage. 
Now, that's hypocrisy. That's duplicitous. We want to talk about that in one of, in thir- in one of our podcasts, pop this week, Thursday. And of course, we want to share uh, another article, an explosive article. Because yesterday we talked about in an article, in, in our episode, Florida's, de- Florida's decision to ban teaching. And you can visit that article. We and it's on it's in my neoliberal commentary on LinkedIn and it's also on my blog spot. And we discussed it discussed it on the previous episode. But I thought about this, excuse me, I apologize. I thought about this article. That I this has to be my next podcast as a follow-up to the issue where we discuss Florida's decision to pass this ban. I have to, I said I have to have a, a podcast where I talk about because thinking about it, I did a podcast on Florida's ban on teaching students to feel guilt about the sins of their forefathers in slavery. Now, after that, I was reading some articles and found an article I write some time ago about a conversation I heard where uh, a lady said, you know, Billy is a is a N-I-G-G-A, is a, and, and I don't want to use this word because some people get offended when I use the word nigger. But, but let's say it. So I, I, somebody said that. And I wrote this in an article. Now, some persons felt offended upon my publication of this article because they felt guilty. I don't know. Or, or, or it, this, it, a feeling of, I don't know what happened, but this wasn't something in the past. And it wasn't meant to make people feel guilty. And you know, when you look at iMessages, you know why people use iMessages? People use iMessages because it is a way to not find blame. Yes? It is a way to not find blame. So I, it, I, I am not responsible for, for people's feelings because people have different feelings and people have different responses to stimuli. When you have an external stimuli, People will approach it differently based on their experiences, based on who they are and where they are in life. So that is why you use iMessages because iMessage, when you use iMessages instead of blame, it takes away this pointing finger on somebody and it takes away and it evades and avoids conflict. That's why people said, let us use iMessages. But, but I published this article without, without pointing any finger just to let people know what is happening in our society. But some persons felt offended upon my publication of this article because they felt guilty. But this wasn't something in the past. This was a very recent episode where a descendant of the, of, 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 of the white race. And please, if I use the word white race, please forgive me if you feel guilty about that or uncomfortable. But I'm making a point here. This, that this wasn't something in the past. The issue I posted about, about a conversation I heard where this Caucasian lady was, call, was speaking about another person and using the word nigger and saying that he doesn't care about anything. This was a recent incident. This was in January. Where a descendant of the white race was using racial language to describe a person as a nigger. Yet we argue, yet... Yet, we argue, even 
to justify this bill, we argue that people shouldn't feel guilty about the past, but we continue to see instances of racism and discrimination today. And I also alluded to that in the episode yesterday. Because people can use racial language from the past, but don't want to feel guilty by being reminded about the past. Isn't this hypocritical? Now, I, that article is available also in the LinkedIn, in the, in the neoliberal commentary of the LinkedIn. And it's also available in, in renaldocmckenzie.blogspot.com. And I will have a podcast where I discuss this issue further. Continue to uh, follow me. And we have lots of improvement. We have a lot of, we have lot of editorial work that we can, we, we, can, we can improve in terms of editorially. Uh, we can improve in terms of our marketing. And uh, we can improve in terms of the construction of this show and so on and so forth. And, and, but we, are, we, are, we will continue to put out episodes and content so that you can consider some of the, the arguments and consider some of the other ways you can look at issues as you continue to develop your own position in life. And hopefully we, we will have the future of this show is that we will, it will be live and we will open and we will have opportunities for persons to, to engage me on this show. And of course, we will have uh, forums and panels and discussions and we will have other people and guests. So we are hoping to, we, we are hoping to move this show to something bigger and better. But for now, we will continue to put content out there and continue to follow and support me and to share any other stories you may have about what's going on in your own community and issues that are, or issues you, you are uncomfortable with as we continue to be responsible citizens of the world. Thank you for listening to the Neoliberal Round Podcast. Have a great day. Thank you.